0: In this episode of the podcast, we've got another beautiful track from Aviva Czernik. She'll be singing in Ladino. But first, we're going to talk about relationships. And this week, I spoke to Hilchavarad member Leslie Feeder. She's a clinical social worker
1: who's spent decades doing couples counseling. We misread each other all the time. And so we think something is more important to somebody when it really isn't, or we think something isn't very important to somebody when it really is. Leslie told me
0: about a communication tool that she uses with the couples that come to her for help. And it's called the one to 10 scale. So basically when there's a conflict of some kind, you asked your partner how important that issue is to them on a scale from one to 10. And to illustrate how the strategy works, Leslie shared a story about how she used this strategy with her own husband, the Chavara's very own Michael Allen, who many of you know and adore from our high holiday services. And Michael did actually sign off on Leslie sharing the story. So here it is.
1: We decided at some point to get a dog to be sort of like a a sibling to Nathaniel because he was an only child and he was 10 years old. So we went ahead and we got this dog. We called him Yogi. The dog was this icy standard poodle got to close to 70 pounds. And he was like a teenager dog because he was only about a year and a half. So the dog had separation anxiety so that when we left, it would start chewing up books, especially Jewish books with all those nice bindings. It wasn't until we had this incident where we'd gone out somewhere, our house was separated from our garage, So when we get to the garage, the dog can hear and sense that we're coming, and he's scraping away at the door. And Michael went ballistic on him; just got really upset and was crying. Michael's very particular about things like that. He's looking at the door. No, he's going to ruin the door. This is horrible. And I'm thinking, whoa, if he's that upset, what does this mean? So I asked him, okay, Michael, on a one to 10 scale, how likely are we get rid of this dog that we've had for a year and a half and that we got for our son. And he said, oh, a four out of ten.
0: Four? And so basically you're looking at him and you're like, oh, my Lord, you're losing your mind. You're going to want to up, give up this dog. This is like a huge, huge, huge problem. And then he was like, eh, it's a four That's problem, right. but it's not, it's not going to be the end of the world. It's not going to be the end of this relationship with this dog.
1: So what happened so, in the end? He went away to the doggy boot camp twice. We figured out a way to get enough control over him and kept him until he was 14 and a half. And finally he died. Well, we had to put him down when he was 14 and a half. So he was a member of the family for 14 and a half years.
0: Whoa. So, okay, so and just to clarify, the one to 10 thing is like, you specifically ask your partner, how important is this to you from a scale of one to 10? How upset are you from a scale of one to 10? To like, get an actual answer. Yeah. Yes. What if the answer is like nine or 10,
1: <laughs> what do you well, do? <laughs> well, well, that gives you some good information that you can start to work with. But so often what happens when people start using the one to 10 scale, you they realize they're not reading their partner very well or vice versa.
0: Mm. So years
1: ago, I was working with a couple where that same thing was happening where he, the guy was coming across at a nine or 10 level in terms of his anger. I was reading him at a nine or 10 level and his wife was reading him at that level. And he's telling us, oh no, I'm just a little frustrated. I'm like a three or four. And it wasn't until I could videotape them talking and get him to watch the videotape that he finally said, oh, I get it. I'm not really at a three or four, am I? I'm much higher than that. So for folks listening, um, what's the lesson here? We often misread people ourselves and other people. And so if you want a really shorthand way of talking about things, use the one to 10 scale. So another example of how I would use it with my husband is sometimes he wants to go to Eastern market. And I don't particularly want to go to Eastern market and he wants me to come with him. So I'll ask him on a one to 10 scale. How important is that to you? If it's high, then no question, I'll go with him. If it's kind of not so high, then I'll say, well, no, I'd rather stay home.
0: Yeah. Does this work better for some couples than others? Like for some people who are like drama queens, you know, I, I imagine maybe I get the like this, you know, something's really not that big of a deal in the scheme of things of my life, but in the moment it might feel like a really big deal. So, you know, if someone were to ask me how big of a deal is this to you? Like maybe in the moment I would say seven or eight and mean it, but truly it's like a two or three in the scheme of things. Should they still ask me, should they still take me seriously because in that moment it's a seven or an eight or am I a drama queen and this doesn't work for me?
1: (laughs) Well, any technique is going to have some people who are going to like it and go for it and other people are going to say for some reason it doesn't work. Not everything will work for everybody and not everything will work
0: all the time. So do you find that there are people that this doesn't work for because like they're too emotional and they can't gauge how important something really is to them? Or do you think it's
1: always worth a shot? I think it's really helpful because you can use it other ways. You can use it to go to your partner and instead of talking on and on for a paragraph and getting all upset about something, you can just say to them on a 1 to 10 scale, this is a 10 for me. Listen up. Right. So you don't
0: even have to ask. You could be the one who just shares. Like this is a yeah. huge deal.
1: Yeah, yeah. So listen. Or if yeah. you have a honey do list, a list of ten things that need to get done around the house, don't make everything a ten. Say hey, this is a ten. This is a six. This is a four. This is a two. This is a three. It helps with prioritizing. Cool. And it's helpful, um, particularly if you have a couple where one person is really emotional and they overwhelm their partner. It's easier for them just to come and say something right at the beginning. This is a 10 for me. This is an eight for me. It cuts through all of that really, really quickly. Yeah. And and, and then you don't have all this drama of overwhelming your partner.
0: Right. So like, even if you are that really, really emotional person who feels like everything is a 10 in the moment, it's still a useful strategy because... If you can have the cathartic experience of saying, this is a 10 for me, you might also avoid saying a whole lot of other things you don't need to be saying. <laughs> yeah. So can I ask what happens when you have a couple in your office who, you know, when partner says, this is a eight, nine, 10 for me, and their partner's like, sorry, can't do it. Like just cannot. It's an eight, nine, 10 for me to not do it, <laughs> whatever it is. What do you do then?
1: <laughs> well, part of, unpacking that a little bit more. I mean, part of it is learning to deal with unrealistic expectations. So when we meet somebody and we're in courtship, we, we think of them as like the cake and they bring us happiness and everything's wonderful. But when we actually settle down and live with somebody, we realize all the ways that they're different from us. And this comes to how I changed my view of my class. I called my class, couples communications, you are not alone. And then I started saying, you are not alone. You are not a clone. <laughs> we actually expect our partner to be like us in lots of ways when we live with them and we're married to them, we realize they're not like us. And it's also why the, the golden rule is a problem sometimes. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you works if you're exactly the same. It doesn't work so well if you're different.
0: That's so interesting. In the beginning of your work with couples, the main thing you wanted to emphasize to them was their connection with each other, with other couples. And then you were like, actually, I feel like the really important thing here is to emphasize the individuality of each person in a relationship. Right. So how do you do that? How do you, how do you get people into that place of like recognizing, respecting, loving, accepting, being okay with their own individuality and their partners?
1: Yeah, that's a lot of what counseling is about is when people have gotten symbiotic or too close to one another and they're not dealing with their own issues. They're projecting them onto their partner. They're all stuck together and you're needing to pull them back. So so a lot of what couples work is, is helping people with that individual part, getting that clear enough so they can become interdependent. Two holes intersecting in a good way with each other, but not trying to control each other. I think of myself as really wanting to be a helpmate, my husband to Michael, and I think I mostly am. Occasionally, in our our relationship over the Did years, you just say a helpmate, like in Genesis, helpmate, yeah, to be helpful to him, be his partner. Yeah. Sometimes I have felt like he he was um, acting a little bit too entitled, and I would have to say to him, Michael, I love you. I'm your wife. I'm not your slave. Hmm. The difference: a slave always has to say yes. A partner should have a right to say no. So, since you've brought up the term "helpmate," which is, you know, el
0: kinegdo, like directly from Genesis, um, from from Parashat the beginning of the Torah, I'm curious: How does Judaism get you to where you are with your thinking around relationships and relationship
1: health, or or not? My, where I get my information is, is I was trained in Bowen family systems theory. Family systems theory is sort of basically where I come from in terms of understanding mm-hmm. um, couple relationships. And then I taught parenting classes. I taught parenting classes for the first 13 years of Nathaniel's life. And then my own experience working with people. So how did you get into this line of work? Okay, so I think I always thought psychologically and I really actually feel like my very first client I had was when I was like in third or fourth grade. What? Really, I just I, I don't remember much except that were, her first name was Sandy. And I just remember having these long conversations and I felt like I was like her therapist more than her friend. And, and you um, were like eight years old. Yeah. And hmm. so when I got through college, I was interested in, in open education. But the more I looked at open education, the more I thought, well, that's going to be difficult because I'll be in a teaching situation and then I'll pick up on something emotionally and I won't be in a position to do anything about it. And that will be too frustrating. So that's when I decided I was moving the direction of, of uh, social work. You know what that
0: reminds me of? kind of, <laughs> When I decided to go to rabbinical school was when I kept on being getting frustrated working on academic papers and Jewish studies, which I loved. Jewish studies and academic writing when I was in college. And I just kept on getting really frustrated because I would try to like bring in spiritual, reflective pieces at the end of all my term papers and all my professors would get so annoyed and say like, this isn't a sermon. This is like an academic paper. And I was like, well, this is annoying. I'll just go to rabbinical school. <laughs> it sounds really similar. That's funny. So what does it feel like now to, to now retire?
1: what's what I'm not fully retired I mean I left Pfizer okay. because I didn't want to work full-time and they wouldn't let me not work full-time or part-time okay. so I'm doing counseling with better help let uh, just get you have complete control over how many clients you have it's all online I don't need an office they handle all the finances
0: that's amazing and I'm also like really happy to hear that you have a format now that is going to be so safe and flexible for you during the pandemic and beyond. Right. Mazel tough. Yeah, yeah. So thinking about mm-hmm. these issues in relationships and the kind of struggle that inevitably goes along with living with and loving another person, another individual, as Leslie taught us, it makes me think of this really core piece of this week's Torah portion. It's a core piece of the Parsha, and it's a core piece of who we are as a people, the Jewish people. So in this week's Parsha, this is where Jacob, Yaakov, wrestles with an angel of God and is given a new name. He's given the name Yisrael, Israel. This would become not only Jacob's name, but the name of our people, the people Israel. And it means one who wrestles with God. He got this through a match, a wrestling match, a physical struggle with this messenger of God. And we inherit this name from our ancestors and we live out this name as we wrestle with God, wrestle with Torah, struggle with the hard pieces of life, try to make meaning, try to get through it. As the winter gets darker and colder, as this pandemic once again gets harsher, I think it is incredibly empowering to remember that struggle is at the core of who we are, that we are strong enough for a fight and that there is divinity and connection and beauty within that fight. So struggle on, and we will talk to you next week. From producer Jess Smith and me, we wish you a Shavua Tov, a good week, or in Ladino, a Buena Semana. Enjoy this beautiful music from Aviva Chernik.
2: be Sam.